What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open back up to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be continuing our series entitled God's Plan. This week we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, as I was preparing uh, tonight to teach on Ephesians 2, it made me think about uh, this new pellet smoker that I got over the summer. You can hear the laughs already because some of you were there when I almost burned my house down. Just a little insight, 32 hamburgers at one time not a good idea for your first crack at it. But I really love this thing because what it helps me to do is it helps me to cook good barbecue uh, with little to no effort. Because it's electric, I can kind of set it and it does its own thing. One day though, a couple, couple weeks ago, about a month ago, I, I went out there and I went to go get it cranked up. I went to go get it fired up uh, and it wouldn't come on. And so I kind of started to panic a little bit because I thought to myself, you know, I just got this thing. Did I already mess it up? I was scared. I was a nervous wreck. It wouldn't come on. I was holding down the button that wake, wakes it up from its sleep and it wouldn't come on. I checked the power cords. It's plugged in. I checked the plug in the wall. It's plugged into the wall. Still nothing. Then I remembered that there was a switch on the back. If I didn't flip that switch on, the power wouldn't come from the cord to the smoker. So of course I went behind the smoker and looked and of course it was flipped off. And so I turned it back on and of course everything worked like it should. And it's kind of similar to what we see here in Ephesians chapter two. Without the power of God that gives us life, we have no hope of spiritual life. If you're a note taker, this is the main idea that I want you to walk away with tonight. Since God has made us alive with Christ, we must live lives of humility. If you're a Christian, since God has made you alive with Christ, you must live a life of humility. And there's two ways that we live lives of humility based on Ephesians 2. Two ways that we live lives of humility based on Ephesians 2. The first is by recognizing what we once were. And the second is by reflecting on the kindness of God. So first, let's, let's look at uh, our first way that we live lives of humility. We must live lives of hum humility by recognizing what we once were. 
Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us what we once were. Father, thank you for displaying your kindness to us in Christ. Father, I pray as I preach, as I teach your word, you would even make some alive tonight. Father, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first, we live lives of humility by recognizing what we once were. Paul starts by saying, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead, but what kind of deadness is this? When Paul says that we were dead, obviously none of us have been physically dead before. The idea here is spiritual deadness, right? We're, we're spiritually dead. But what exactly does that mean? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. What is spiritual deadness? Well, spiritual deadness means that we don't desire God, we don't seek God, we don't love God, but instead, we love ourselves, we love our sin, and we live for ourselves in our sin. There's a similar idea in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Paul in Romans is kind of talking about how he has benefits being Jewish. He has these benefits of having a long lineage of being Jewish, living in the covenants of God. His forefathers were spoken to by God. But then he says this in verse 9. What then... Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Whoa. Tell us how you really feel. Paul doesn't hold back, right? And it's this similar idea that we see here. He doesn't go into the details of it here, but what he's saying is that we are born spiritually dead. We're willing and active participants in sin because of our spiritual state. Jesus actually talks about this a lot in the Gospels. In fact, if you ever wondered why Jesus spoke in parables so often, he actually tells us in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the, prophe the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and when they're, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And so we see all throughout the Bible this idea that ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, humankind is born in sin. We're born spiritually dead. Later in Romans chapter 5, Paul explains this. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you can kind of see the intertwining there of the thing that we didn't do, just born into the human race, and our responsibility because all sinned. We are born in sin and we are active participants. We, we choose sin. And in verses 2 and 4, Paul does go on to describe a little bit what this deadness kind of looks like. If you were to do a case study on spiritual deadness, Paul gives us some verses here. He says, one, that they are following the course of this world then he says that they're following the prince of the power of the air. That's a really fancy word for saying Satan. And he says, we are living in the passion of our flesh. 
And so I see these three things really not as three separate things, but like three strands of a rope that go together. Following the world, following Satan, living in the passion of our flesh. There, there are three roads that go in the same direction. They're all just one idea. This is why 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says things like, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Keep going a little further in 3.10. John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so what we see from Ephesians chapter 2, what we once were, this description of deadness, following the world, following Satan, living in the passion of our flesh. Really, what we learn is that Satan is the ultimate deceiver. And Satan, the Bible actually describes for us, has set up his own kingdom and his own family. It's referred to certain times as the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness. John says there's children of God and children of Satan. And so we see that before we come to life in Christ, we're in Satan's kingdom. The Bible says we're in his family. We're following him with the rest of mankind following the prince of the power of the air. And so if Satan has a kingdom and Satan has a family, sin is the pledge of allegiance to his kingdom. Rebellion is his family tradition. And death is the family inheritance. That's what we see in the first half of Ephesians chapter 2. And thinking about our nature, right? Our nature before coming to Christ, it, it's a pretty grim picture. And it kind of reminds me of something not quite as grim, but I think related in a small way. There was a couple of years ago where I was at the grocery store and there was something, there was a product that really pulled me in. It really attracted me. It used all the right words. It was a stick of deodorant. And it said, free of all harsh chemicals and all bad things for your skin. Something like that. Of course, it was much better. And what it was, was it was a charcoal-infused deodorant, something like that. Um, and so I was intrigued by this. I thought, man, maybe I am harming myself. Maybe I'm harming my skin. Maybe I should give this a shot. So I bought it and, you know, I threw my old deodorant away. And I started using it for a couple of weeks. And then my wife and I decided together that that deodorant wasn't working out for me. Uh, I thought it would but we came to a consensus that it didn't. 
And it highlights this point for us, right? What's natural isn't always the best. Now, maybe it was good for me, but it didn't solve the problem that I wanted it to solve. Highlights the idea for us that when we see nature, when we think of what's natural, natural doesn't always mean neutral. And it's what we see in Ephesians 2, at least in the beginning of it, right? Our nature, what we once were, isn't neutral, but it's actually in rebellion to God. When you think about sin, when you think about your temptation to sin, even now as a Christian, as you fight against sin, if you've trusted in Christ, you you still have to fight against your own sin that still remains and some sin clings closely. And you might be tempted to think as you fight that sin, well, man, you know, if I have to fight this sin, if it's coming so naturally to me, maybe it's right. Maybe the sin that I want to go after is actually right because it's the most natural thing to me right now. I'm drawn to it. I'm enticed by it. But beloved, I would just tell you on the authority of the word of God that your natural inclinations to sin are not good. They're rebellion against God. And we see this all around us, in the culture, in our own lives before Christ. However you feel in the moment is what's right. The Bible gives us a different picture of what's good and what's right. And really this idea of this description of what we once were. Later we'll look at what God does to intervene. And for those of you who are Christians, our past should point us to a humility. We don't wallow in the shame and guilt of our past, but it should say to us, as we live in the world, as we work among those and go to school among those who don't know God, it it should say to us, I better be careful not to be puffed up with pride. I, I better be careful to remember where I was and what God did for me. We'll see that we don't deserve his grace, but it's kindness, it's his kindness that he shows to us. And so we ought to be a people that are the most humble knowing the truth. The most humble knowing the truth. But if we keep going, we'll see the second way that we live lives of humility. We'll see the second way that we live lives of humility. We live lives of humility by reflecting on the kindness of God. What does it say in verse 4? But God. And so many Christian thinkers have referred to this as the greatest conjunctive in all of Scripture. 
God intervenes and initiates salvation. But God, being rich in mercy. And I want us to see that while we were still dead, God intervenes and initiates our salvation by making us alive. God initiates and intervenes. And how does he do it? Verse 5 says, he made us alive together with Christ. And so we have to understand that our salvation is inextricably linked to Christ and his work. His death on the cross. His resurrection from the grave. We have salvation because of Christ. We put our faith in Christ. God intervenes and initiates our salvation. He makes us alive together with Christ. It's on Christ's work that we rely, not on our own. And why does God do this? Why does God do this? Wow. Paul says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Great love with which he loved us. Isn't that beautiful, poetic language about how God loves us? Even while we were dead in our trespasses. And then if we keep going, we see another reason. It's similar, but it's a little bit different. Verse seven, Paul says, so that in the coming ages, he, that's God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this word immeasurable twice. Chapter one, he says, the immeasurable power of God is the same power that saves us. And here, he says that God has saved us, he's made us alive with Christ because of the immeasurable riches of his mercy and kindness. I mean, think about it like a king, right? Who's just sitting on the throne. And to his left and to his right are two doors. And if you go through either door, you walk into a room that's filled with treasures. It's filled with gold. It's filled with silver. It's, it's filled with every rich thing that there is. It's just a storehouse of riches. And this is the way that Paul describes the kindness of God. He has a storehouse of kindness, a storehouse of mercy, and it will never run out. And what does Paul say? He says that God has chosen to display his riches and kindness and mercy by lavishing his kindness and mercy on us. 
He wants to show the riches of his kindness to the world by lavishing it on those who have faith in Christ. So he makes us alive. But also, Paul says in verse 8, that he does it this way so that we couldn't boast. By grace, through faith, you've been saved. By grace, through faith, so that no one can boast. God initiates and intervenes to save us to show the riches of his kindness, to display to the universe the riches of his mercy. Not so we would boast, not so we would be puffed up, not so that we would have pride, but so that he could get glory for the riches that he would display in lavishing mercy and kindness to you. And this idea of not boasting is really interesting because if we keep going in verse 10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verse 8, he says, he's done all these things so that we don't boast. Then he says, for we are his workmanship. Craftsmanship. We are the work of his hands to display how good God is. He recreates us in Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Workmanship created for good works. Just like a car is built to be driven, we're shown here that we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works. But just like Paul doesn't want us to boast in verse 8, we see that the works that we have were prepared by God beforehand. So not only does God lavish us in kindness, not only does he recreate us in Christ to walk in good works, but he actually gives us works to walk in. They're prepared beforehand. God is so gracious. He saves us apart from our works and then prepares works for us to walk in. And all of this is so that he could display the riches of his kindness in Christ and so that none of us could boast in our salvation and in our works. Kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago, there was a sensor that went out in my car. Um, and it was a little bit scary because I guess what this sensor did was keep my car on uh, while I was driving. So sometimes if I was going at a certain uh, speed, it would, just, it would just 
cut off like in the middle of the road. So I, I had to get it fixed. Um, and technically, I have a luxury car. Uh, now I say technically because my car is about 20 years old. So the luxury standards have evolved a little bit since then. Uh, but having a luxury car, no matter how old it is, means that when you take it to the dealership, which was the only place that could fix that sensor, when you take it to the dealership, you get to have a rental and they give you a new car that's a rental. As a side note, it's always a bad thing when you pull into the car dealership and the mechanic says, ooh, we got an OG coming in. It's not good. And so as I'm getting my car fixed, I get this brand new 2020 Infiniti and I'm driving it around and so everywhere I go, people are like, oh man, is that your new car? I'm like, no, it's just a rental getting my same old car that looks beat up, just getting that one fixed, you know? <laughs> and I'm humbled, right? Because I keep driving around and every place I go, people are asking me if I got a new car and I have to say, no, it's just, just a rental. It doesn't belong to me. I, I can't boast in this new thing that I have because it doesn't belong to me. And it's similar to what we see in our salvation, right? It does belong to us. Our salvation is given to us. But Paul wants us to know it's not to highlight us. It's not that we should boast in a great work. He goes lengths to tell us what we once were. And then he says, and what you are now is because God initiated it and the works that you walk in as a Christian, God gave you those too. Everything in our life as Christians points back to the kindness and mercy and riches of God in Christ. We don't boast. We don't have pride. And it kind of makes me think of the idea of God being kind to us, it, it kind of reminds me that we ought to be a kind people. If you're a Christian, you are called to kindness and gentleness. When someone bumps into you at the TMB, when someone takes your seat, your favorite seat in class, when your roommate does something that annoys you over and over and over, as Christians, we are called to walk in this life in kindness. We display the kindness of God by reciprocating out the kindness that he shows us to others. Another thing that we see as we think about the kindness that God has shown to us, we understand that we are saved by grace through faith. It's every Christian's testimony that we were once dead in our sins, but we were saved 
by grace through faith. It's the work of Christ that we hope in. And because of Christ, because of the rich mercies that we have in Christ, we're shown grace. And I think that as we think about walking in kindness and, and the fact that we're saved by grace through faith, knowing that God has prepared works, good works for us to walk in, I think it's a great contrast between what Paul says in the first verses of chapter 2. When he says we're following the world and the flesh and the devil. And then we have this idea of walking in good works. So if you want to know how you should live as a Christian, if you have a decision that you have to make, think about it in terms of am I walking in the good works that were prepared for me? Or am I walking according to the flesh? We're not called to continue to walk in the passions of the flesh, but we're called to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. And I think it's important to note here that all of this highlighting of God's riches, God's storehouse of grace, that he just reaches into it and bestows it upon you to display his kindness. I think that it helps us to understand that our salvation is not primarily about our worth. Our salvation is not primarily about our worth, but it's to display God's kindness. We have been shown kindness so that in the ages to come, God's grace and kindness would be shown to the world. Maybe you are here and you haven't experienced this. You, you haven't experienced God being rich in mercy, making you alive in Christ. Maybe you're walking in the flesh, walking with the rest of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Think about what Paul says. Made us, al made us alive together with Christ. Christ, the Son of God, dies for people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And if you put your faith in Christ, you've been made alive. Could God be bringing you to life at this very moment? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for showing us your mercy and your grace, your kindness. Father, thank you for making us your workmanship that we would display to the world how kind you are in Christ. That those would see that kindness and they would put their faith in Christ. 
believing on his death, burial, and resurrection for their salvation, that they could experience the kindness and grace of God. Father, I pray that you would do this great work that you have described in Ephesians 2. I pray that you would do this great work again tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen.